0: Hey, my son, uh, my oldest son, Matt, he pastors out in California. It's not a family thing. Uh, He actually was in the medical field and uh, always involved in church. God called him to the ministry. He ministered here in Long Island for a while, and then God called him to California three years ago. So he uh, recently told a story, opening up his message that reminded me of an event that happened uh, when he was young. So... uh, I grew up in Niagara Falls, that was my hometown. Uh, I used to spend a lot of time around the falls, it was a beautiful area, I used to run down there. Even in the winter, you would, the trees would turn to ice, it was just beautiful. And uh, so the first time we brought him, he was young. And um, he was sh- small, and so we were waiting, everyone's around the railing trying to see the falls and finally the opportunity came and he got in there, and uh, before we know, we knew it, he had twisted his head through the railing to get a better look. You know the funny thing about ears? <laughs> They're only meant to go in one direction, <laughs> backward. And so uh, we had to figure out how to get his head out of the railing. But that wasn't the first time it happened. About a year before that, we were actually on a Ferris wheel with him. And uh, we were at the top, you know how it stops, and he was so cute, he was standing on the seat and we were holding him. Next thing I know, his head is like through the, through the railing again. It's like, and the wheel's like right here. My wife's panicking, you know? And I'm just like, well, it went in, it's gotta come out. <laughs> gotta figure it out. But, uh, so, needless to say that those are, he reminded me of that, and it brought, those two events that really brought a lot of anxiety at the moment in our lives. Pastor Tony shared a great message last week on uh, distracted devotion. And I think if you haven't heard that, I certainly would encourage you to listen to that. And uh, I, I think you'd tremendously benefit from that. But we do live in an age of anxiety where there's personal concerns, family matters, financial needs, health issues, governmental policies, or global conditions. We all have reasons to worry and fret. One church marquee where a well-meaning person placed the words, do not allow worry to kill you, let the church help. Now, I'm really not sure what they meant about that, but it just certainly could be taken a few different ways. But sometimes critical situations strike immediate fear into our hearts, and that's only natural. But often we take our worries to bed with us. We wake up with them and we carry them throughout the whole day. And this is not how God intends for us to live. There's an endless list of things to worry about, both in the world affairs and our own personal lives. I know for um, some of our students that are here today, being that school's over, your anxiety level kind of went down a little bit. No more deadlines, no more homework, no more, and hopefully you can enjoy uh, your time off from that. Uh, but certainly um, worries can consume us and distract us from living in the moment and from being in tune with God's voice and values and presence in our lives. And there can be many causes for worries, traumatic events uh, in our lives, stress of illness, social anxiety, fear of rejection, and other people's behaviors and treatments. What happens when we worry? When we worry, worry becomes the controller of us. With worry, we end up letting things trouble us so much that it takes our focus away from what we should be focused on or as God's people, it becomes a major distraction and a real inhibitor in our lives. Worriers often live in a continuous cycle of fear and anxiety and the paralyzing byproducts of worry. I almost look at worry and anxiety and fear as almost like close cousins, because where you find one, you usually find the other. And like I said, anxiety is at all-time high, but it's not just a contemporary issue. If you look in the Bible, there's many examples and passages about worry. It also was an issue even back in the Old Testament times. Psalm 37, 7 and 8 says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret. So I've titled my message this morning, Why Worry? And I'm going to be using worry and fear and and anxiety interchangeable uh, this morning. Anxiety is a condition in which the mind is pulled in two directions. And that really is what the word means. It means to be torn in two. And so we can relate to that because here we've got, you know, maybe you have some concerns and those are legitimate and there's nothing wrong with having concerns. Concerns. But when our concerns turn to worry and it becomes to dominate and control of our lives, it's, it, it, it's, uh, it, it can really cause some serious issues. And this results in an emotional state of distress that dominates our thoughts, affects our relationships, and certainly disturbs our sleep. The word worry comes from an old English term that means to strangle or to choke. And sometimes if we let worry get to a place in our life, it almost feels like it's choking the life out of us. Somebody said, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, it empties today of its joy and strength. In Jesus' sermon in Matthew chapter 6, he points out why we so often in to worry and what we can do to change our response. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. This is how it reads. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and a body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap uh, nor gather into barns, and yet the heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more, of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you so anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the valley, the field, how they grow. They neither toil or spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory is not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, today which is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day of our trouble, our own trouble. Three times in this passage, we're encouraged by Jesus not to worry. In verse 25, he says, don't be anxious. Verse 31, don't be anxious. Verse 34, don't be anxious. And he goes on to tell us why it's wrong. Mark Twain famously said, I am an old man and have known a great many troubles, but most of them never happened. And Matthew 6.25 is one of the most quoted verses about anxiety in the Bible because it challenges us to trust God rather than falling into worry and anxiety. What we often miss is that when quoting uh, verse 25 is that the teaching on anxiety is actually an application of verses 19 through 24. And like Pastor Tony always says, when it says, therefore, you got to go back and read what's before that. Verses 19 through 24 says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And Jesus reminds us in this passage that life here on earth is really short, and we can't take anything with us. He taught us that what we value will be what we prioritize in our lives. If we value the world's priorities more than we value God's priorities, we will naturally be anxious about the things of this world, like food and clothing and stuff. Because our money, health, reputation, and relationships are valuable to us, we become anxious when, we love, when what we love becomes threatened. When our hearts align with God's values, we view the dangers around us differently. We have an eternal perspective. When God's values and our values align, we will understand what it is and what's most important to live out the purpose that we were created for. Now there's some things in this passage uh, worth mentioning in which, uh, which do affect our worry. First of all, we see that there's a feeling of inadequacy. When a person worries, they feel inadequate. Problems can be so overwhelming that we feel insignificant and incapable of doing anything about them. But Jesus advises us to look at the birds in verse 25. They seem so unimportant, yet God takes care and takes upon himself the responsibility to feed them and care for them. We never see birds planting seeds or harvesting crops. They're totally inadequate for the task. And if God cares for them so much, we can be certain they will will care and be faithful to meet the needs that we have. Philippians 4.19 reminds us, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now when we have those feelings of inadequacy and we, on top of that, have feelings of insecurity, that multiplies our worry. If we have a poor self-image, or maybe things have happened to us that have really stripped our value, it intensifies the feeling of worry. We tend to think God doesn't care or they're not, we're not worthy of his care. I want to remind you this morning that God cares about you and you matter to him. Second thing I see in this passage is our attempt to change things that we cannot change. Jesus reminds us that many situations are beyond our ability to alter. Verse 27 says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Whenever we encounter circumstances, we cannot change the only decision is to turn them over to the only one who can handle them, and that's God. When we try to control them, we're demonstrating unbelief and multiplying the intensity of our pain and frustration. Psalm 56.3 says, When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. Remember, today is the tomorrow you worried about Yesterday. And what we need to do is put our worries and our concerns and our fears and anxieties into the hands of God. I also see our failure to trust God in this passage to provide for our needs. After explaining how the Lord clothes the lilies of the field with more glory than all of King Solomon, Jesus exhorts us to not worry about clothing because he will provide whatever we need. When we worry that our needs won't be met, we're demonstrating a lack of faith in a God who's faithful. Part of the problem is that we don't know what we really need sometimes. Sometimes we think that we know what we need, and so we go on a pursuit after that, and we're not really sure. Focusing on the possible outcome stems from a heart that ultimately desires to be in control. Sometimes a situation may look like God has let us down. Have you ever experienced that in your life? Maybe you've gone through things, you say, God, where are you? How did this happen? You know, this couldn't happen to me. You know, and we begin to question, you know. But we need to realize that maybe God's doing something different. Supplying another way that we don't even know about. It's interesting, when the Apostle Paul suffered so much mistreatment and hardship, The scriptures never record uh, him complaining about his circumstances. Shipwrecks, beatings, all the things that that Paul faced were not happy times in his life, but he endured them with inner peace and a confidence because he knew and trusted God. Rather than trusting God, sometimes we try to take control, and it really comes out of a heart of pride. The late Pastor Tim Keller reminds us, it takes pride to be anxious. I'm not, as wise, I'm not wise enough to know how my life should go. Do we trust God with our future so we can stay present in today? We need to realize that God is in control. Sometimes we have misplaced priorities. Instead of focusing on obtaining the necessities of life, Jesus tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness And all these things will be added unto you. Verse 33. The kingdom of God is God's rule, his reign, or even his rest. God's kingdom is is his rule and authority over our lives. And his righteousness is Christ's character worked out in such a way that we reflect who he is. It's interesting that none of us can can work ourselves to a place of being in right standing with God, and that's what righteousness means. It only happens through Christ in the work of the cross. Jesus suffered and died for you and I so that we could be righteous. Now, most of us don't feel that righteous because we know ourselves too well. But when God looks at us through the completed work of Jesus Christ and the cross, he sees a righteous person. The Bible tells us we're to put on righteousness. It's almost like you got to take maybe your filthy outer coat off and you got to put on a coat of righteousness and walk in that. When we make it our top priority to acknowledge him as our Lord and Savior, seeking to walk obediently in his ways, God promises to supply whatever we need. He knows exactly what's best for us as well as how and when to provide it. The next thing I see in this passage is trying to live tomorrow, today. I think planning ahead is is a great idea. But we can get so far ahead in in trying to figure it out and trying to put everything in place that we certainly can mess it up. We can fill our calendars with all kinds of uh, schedules and things that we need to do. We need to let tomorrow take care of itself. Jesus said So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. And it also goes on in verse 34, it says, Tomorrow's got enough trouble of its own. So why are we borrowing trouble for tomorrow? We need to learn how to live in today. Instead of becoming anxious about our responsibilities and commitments, we should turn our schedules over to God, turn our priorities over to God. If we'll wake up each morning with our thoughts on the Lord, Committing ourselves to do whatever he says, we'll be able to go through the day with peace and joy as we watch him work all the details out. Don't worry so much about tomorrow. Leave it to God. Now, you may not think that, you know, and we've heard that saying, just take one day at a time. You may not think that that's that's good living. But Jesus teaches us uh, that we're to live this way. In the Lord's Prayer, for example, Jesus said, pray like this, give us this day our daily bread. God will give us enough for today, and tomorrow we wake up and we live another day, and we see him provide. Someone has said the average person is crucifying himself between two thieves, the regrets of yesterday and the worries of tomorrow. You can't change a past, and you can't control the future. So why worry? And like I said before, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties to today of its joy and strength. We need to learn to trust him, to live for today for him, and to leave tomorrow to him. Now we know that faith and fear cannot exist together. I can't be a person of faith and be fearful. And if I'm fearful then I'm really showing I have no faith. Peter in Matthew chapter 14 is, is, uh, is with Jesus. Well, Jesus is in the, out on the lake and, and Peter's in the boat. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus beckons Peter to come and join him. And for a wild moment, he does. But as Peter looks around, the fear of his circumstances overwhelm him. I love the passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. King Jehoshaphat receives news that the Biminiites, the the Amorites, and the Moabites are coming after him. They've consolidated into one group, one army, and they're coming after the, the, the nation of Judah. And he receives this message, and the scripture said he was alarmed because this army could overtake them and crush them, and that's what they were intended on doing. He said he was alarmed, but he looked to the Lord, and he put his trust and confidence in God. It's amazing in that chapter that what Jehoshaphat does is he calls a fast throughout the whole land. He calls people to prayer, and then he begins to pray himself, and he prays a prayer that reminds God, not that God needed a reminder, but he was going back and he's saying, God, you promised when you gave us this land that we were not going to be overtaken. You promised to defend us. You promised that no matter what happened, that you'd be with us. And then he says, when he got done praying, he got quiet. All the people prayed. And then God spoke. God spoke through prophet um, Jehezreel. And Jehezreel said that, don't fear. Don't fear. God will deliver you today. The battle's not yours. You're not going to have to fight. God's going to take care of you. All you need to do is trust. And then God gave him some specific instructions on how to fight the enemy. And you know, sometimes we got to face the enemy. we got to stand up to the enemy. Sometimes we got to, you know, with God's direction, know how we are to defend ourselves. And God told them, send the worshipers out first. Send the, send the praisers out. Now, if you're a military guy, it'd be like, you know, let's send the cooks out. And, uh, you know, (laughs) it'd be like, that's not good military strategy. They're out there singing, maybe playing some tambourines, waving some flags. I mean, who are you going to scare off with that? But you know what? As they did that, you see, because that was an acknowledgement of their place in God and who they were. And they worshiped God. And when they finally got to the place where they came up on the ridge, the battle was going to take place in the valley. When they came up to the ridge and they looked around, you know what they found? Dead men everywhere. God had confused those armies. They turned against each other. They fought against They killed each other. They were all dead. Scripture's tell it took three days for them to take the plunder that was left behind. And then they worshiped the Lord and celebrated God not only delivered them, but on top of that, he blessed them. And, you know, that's a great chapter if you want to get into it. Second Chronicles 20, it's a great read. You just see God's hand so powerful there. That's the same God that we serve. God's power has not been diminished. He's not lost his authority. He's still the same God, and he can do miraculous things. Faith is described in Hebrews 11 as being competent or certain of what we do not see. It's an absolute truth that God is constantly working behind the scenes in every area of our lives, even when there's no tangible evidence of Him supporting or being there. It's a fact. We need to understand that faith is not something that we can even produce in ourselves. You know, we talk about, I need to have more faith. You know, and we try to work it up, you know. Faith's a gift. Faith's a gift. Ephesians tells us it's a gift. We've all been given a measure of faith. Some people have more faith. I met some people like, wow, man, they got some amazing faith. How did they get there? And they'll probably tell you some stories how they got there. Because if you're going to have great faith, you're probably going to have some great trials to face and apply that faith. Faith is also, or faithfulness is described as a fruit of the Spirit, it's a working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Christian faith is a confident assurance in the God who loves us, who knows our thoughts, and who cares about our deepest needs. We know that fear is contagious, but so is faith. 2 Timothy 1.17 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. See, when we allow fear to overcome and take over, when we allow worry to have that place in our life, first of all, we have no power. How many of you have been afraid or worried and you feel like exhausted? You got no strength. You feel like it just got zapped out of you. You're not walking in love because God's love is security. We come into God's love, it's a secure feeling. It's a feeling like, I know God loves me. I know God's going to take care of me. I know God's here for me. And when you're worrying, you certainly don't have a sound mind. Our mind goes all over the place, man. We're just like, you know, we just got all these scenarios going. I know Pastor Tony shared last week a story out of the Gospels and. I just want to touch on that a little bit. He did a great job last week. It was an excellent message. So Jesus had finished his teaching for the day, and he went out in a boat with his disciples to really escape the crowd. And he goes down and he takes a nap. Now, I want you to understand that Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Keep that in mind, because that's going to be important in this story. This storm comes up out of nowhere. Massive storm. Severe storm. And we could see by the reaction of the guys that were in that boat. These were seasoned fishermen. They knew storms. They had been through plenty of storms. They knew what it was, and this one had them terrified. And they rushed down to awaken Jesus and ask him a profound question. Teacher, don't you care if we perish? Now, when I was, uh, my kids were younger... Sometimes I'd fall asleep on the chair, and if they were really excited about something, they'd come up and, like, wake me up suddenly. I couldn't be held responsible for my reaction. (laughs) I got caught up in their excitement. I'd jump out of the chair, like, what's going on, you know? And I don't think they approached Jesus with, like, hey, Jesus, um, you know, we got this storm going on. And uh, it's pretty bad. I mean, the the wind, the waves are coming into the boat. The wind's really blowing. And uh, do you think you could possibly come and help us? Do you think like you could do something about this? Because we're actually terrified. I believe when they woke Jesus up, man, they they rocked the boat, (laughs) you know. But you know what? Jesus, I believe, knew that they were in the midst of a storm. And he was just sleeping away. Once Jesus had miraculously stopped the storm, he has a question for those who moments before were fearing for their lives. He looked at his disciples and he said, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And Jesus looks at us this morning in our worry, in our anxiety, in our fear, and says, Why are you afraid? Do not fear what this day or any day may bring your way. Concentrate on trusting in me, that's Jesus, and following my ways. Relax in my sovereignty. Remember that I will go before you and I will be with you into every single moment of your day. And what we need to do is we need to pull the mask off of fear. I don't know if you ever experienced like somebody that scared you with a mask on. You know, they're like, "Ah," you know. And you're terrified, maybe as a little kid. And then they pull the mask off, and you're like, oh, you want to kill him, of course. But, you know, you're relieved that it's not really who you thought it was. It's somebody you're familiar with, that you're comfortable with, that you know loves you. They just want to scare you. And I think that's sometimes what we need to do with worry. We have to pull the mask off. To overcome worry, we need to adopt an attitude of joy and thanksgiving. Paul wrote his letter to the Philippines from a cold, damp Roman prison, yet he continually spoke about rejoicing. Instead of being anxious, he he encouraged the Philistines to pray about everything with thanksgiving. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses All understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Supplication is asking earnestly but humbly. We need to involve God in our worry. We need to look to him and give it to him. We need to pray with thanksgiving. We have so much to be thankful for. I want to encourage you sometimes to sit down and make a make a thankful list. You know, sometimes we, we concentrate on all the things that are going wrong in our lives. And we need to be thankful. There's so many things which we can thank God for. That he walks with us through each and every hard time that we face. He protects us and provides for us. He all along the way keeps his promises. And when we focus on those things, it says will experience God's peace. All kinds of things can be going out around us. And I'm not trying to minimize things that happen in our lives. And I'm not trying to say just avoid and don't deal with it. What I'm saying is, be concerned, but give your concerns to God. He'll guard our minds in Christ Jesus, no matter how difficult our circumstances might be. The call of God never takes us where the grace of God cannot sustain us. The call of God will never take us where the grace of God cannot sustain us. I love David when he says, I was young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Hey, David had a lot of things to worry about. (laughs) You read through the Psalms. Very real, very raw. But at the end of it, I I love sometimes he'll start out writing a Psalm and, God, where are you? And, you know, you left me. and, And then by the end of the Psalm, he's like, I know you're a faithful God. You know, he pulled it back together. But in his lifespan, when he looked back, he never saw the righteous forsaken. And I just want to encourage you that no matter what you're facing in life, God is with you. He's in control. Let's give it to him and allow him to work it out for his honor and glory. And we'll experience peace during those times. We'll know what it is to have God's presence carrying us through. Listen, God's committed to walking beside you. And if he needs to hold your hand along the way, he's going to do that. But if you'll put your trust and your confidence in him, he will bring you through. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you this morning for your word that gives us such insight and direction and hope. And Lord, I thank you that no matter what we go through in life, Lord, that you're committed to walk through with us. You're committed to finish the work that you started in our lives. At times, it may seem like we have a long way to go but I thank you that you're a patient God. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that we commit our worries and our fears and our anxieties to you today, knowing that you're a God of peace. I just pray for your people today, that Lord, that we would find encouragement in you. And again, that we would look to you and find you faithful and true. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you this morning.